Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bugay. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? It's good. What you got for me this week? All right, here's what I got. I got a question for you. So something I don't know that we've talked about, or if we talked about it, I forgot about it. So I just wanted to, to bring it back up is what was your first job? Like back when, you know, there was teenage Rachel and she got her job. What, what was it? Um, so it depends. I, I, my first legitimate job yeah. was a grocery store, but I was nannying when I was way too young. It feels like I did a babysitter, but I was of course in charge of other kids. Um, so I started nannying really young, but my first official job where I signed paperwork was at a grocery store bagging groceries. And it was literally walking distance to my house because I was not 16 yet. I think I was 15 and I would walk there and I would bag groceries. Hmm. And then what, like after that, did you work when you were in college and stuff like yes, that? Yes. I've always worked probably multiple jobs at a time. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of nannying. I was a lifeguard. That's a whole nother story. It's a funny one. Um, what else? Well, that's what we do. Tell me, wait, 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 I want to hear this lifeguard story. Oh, it was just crazy. It was this like whirlwind certification. It was a weekend training. And I just like, I feel like I was not set up for success. I came, I didn't have a one piece swimsuit, which is what they required. And I didn't realize they required that. I had a very sporty two piece. It wasn't like I was wearing like a string bikini, but they didn't care. <laughs> they were like, no, you need to wear this. So I had to wear somebody else's bathing suit, which was really gross. Mm, um, gross. <laughs> and then I also am a strong swimmer, but I didn't know the specific strokes. So they had to have somebody teach me the specific strokes because you have to, the first step is you just have to go in a pool and swim 50 laps in an Olympic sized swimming pool to show that mm-hmm. you are a strong enough swimmer. And then you have to tread water um, in the deep end, which I did fine with, but it was just like, it felt like I was just failing across the board. Ironically, I ended up passing and I became a lifeguard, but <laughs> I always think back on that and think, wow, like I really wasn't prepared adequately for that weekend certification training. You know, I actually went through a, a certification training for being a lifeguard too. I was on the swim team and then I never got a job as a lifeguard for whatever reason. I just went through it and then just because uh, I had other jobs. But okay, so then after that, so after a lifeguard, what else did you, what else pre-speech therapy days? Um, let's see. I mean, I did a lot of working with kids, which I think makes sense, right? Because now I work with kids. Um, so mm-hmm. I did a lot of nannying. I coached peewee soccer which is so funny because I ended up becoming the director of a huge soccer, peewee soccer program. And all of like the dads would come up and be like, so where'd you play in college? And I never played soccer. That's the like, the kicker was that I didn't, I never played competitively at all. Um, We didn't have a soccer team growing up. It was only for the boys. We didn't have a girl's soccer team. And so I played field hockey. And so I did that for a long time. I worked as a, a hostess at a really fancy Greek restaurant in Philly. I think that's it. Although I'm sure there's other things that I'm missing. So back in my day, so my first job was working at a vet clinic, uh, that is a small town, farm town vet clinic. And then, you know, I did, um, we had a drive through convenience store. So I worked there for a while. And then I, in college, I got a job working at a movie theater, which was awesome. One of the reasons I want to bring this up was because there was a story that happened at one of the movie theaters that is relating to my experiences with um, with working with with uh, people in the coaching and and the training capacity of AAC. Back in the day, when I was the uh, I was the assistant manager at this movie theater, and I was the one in charge of ordering uh, like the inventory, so candy and cups and lids and all that kind of stuff, right? The bags I had to order it to make sure it was there for all the customers, and I had 
we, for whatever reason, the company was out of medium lids. I mean, I had tried to order them. They didn't come in the shipment and we were out. And I remember one time I was behind the, the counter and this woman came up to me and she said, I want you know, a, a medium Coke or Pepsi or whatever it was. And uh, I poured for her and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm out of lids. And she went off on me. You expect me to, to go into the movie theater without a, and I could trip and fall and spill this on me because you don't have lids. And I was sitting there and, and she just railed into me. I want to talk to the manager. Well, I am the manager. I'm sorry. You know, I don't have the, the shipment didn't come in. There's nothing I can do. Um, I think she was looking to get like a free like upgrade or something. I don't know. I don't even remember. Who cares? But the point is what happens is, so she walks away all angry. I'm all down and uh, upset. And my colleague comes over to me and he said, uh, Chris, you know, forget her. Forget, you know, he used a more expletive, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's like, For, forget her. Um, he goes, you get paid the same amount whether you have medium lids or not. And that phrase, there's so many things that I've learned over the years um, in my different, those early year jobs, which is why I wanted to ask you about your early jobs. There's so many life lessons you learn in those early jobs. And this was one of them. And, And here it is too, just to make sure I'm being explicitly clear about what I'm saying. My colleague is wrong right? Like, it's important to care that there's no medium lids. Lids, Like, I should have been like, man, like my feeling, I think that there was no medium lids. There weren't, wasn't my fault. There was nothing I could have done about it. But I, that, that customer should have been, I, I should have done something to try and make them happy, you know? Um, and yet there's this attitude out there that I get paid the same amount, whether you, the job gets done or whether I doesn't get done. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that could happen in any stage of the game. Like, you know, I'm a teaching assistant and I get paid whether I assist the kid or whether I don't, whether I listen to the teacher or whether I don't. I get paid the same amount when I'm a therapist and yep, I'm going to put 60 minutes in a week and I get paid the same amount whether, whether the kid makes progress or the kid doesn't make progress. You know, there has to be a greater incentive than the money that you make, you know, there has to be this internal drive that, uh, that you want to help the world be a better place. You want the kids be a better place. You want there to be medium lids, you know, you want there to be people to have a good experience and you feel some ownership for it. And I don't know, I just, it's been on my mind lately. So what do you, what do you think? I mean, I agree. I think that nobody gets into our profession because of the money, right? Like we all work to make money, but I think that we all have this drive to help people. And I think that that is something that you might lose sight of, right? Because sometimes helping people is hard and it takes a lot of emotional energy to help people all day long. But I think that it's so important to circle back to the why of what we're doing, right? Because again, like you just get caught in the minutia and it just feels like, you know, progress sometimes is slow and parents are sometimes challenging to work with. Um, Teams are sometimes hard to be a part of when there's a lot of disagreements. But I think that, you know, myself personally, whenever I'm having a rough moment or day or time period in my life, I actually find that going to work and being in a session with a child is the best medicine. Because I think that Mm -hmm. when I'm in service to someone, it's not about me anymore. It's not about like the problems that are swirling around in my brain. It's like I'm in the moment and I feel like there's so much joy that you can derive from that and you can totally refocus 
your day if you have that opportunity to just kind of think more big picture and like I'm actually helping, right? Like what am I doing today? I'm actually helping a child and a family. Um, and I think that that circling back to that is, is so important in the work that we do. Yeah, that that's something that I've been struggling with lately, or just maybe struggling is a strong word, but thinking about lately is how to motivate the adults that help the kids. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, I, what you say makes total sense to me, like, and it totally is refreshing for me too. Like, if I am having a bad day, just go spend time with kids. They will recenter you and they'll get you back into like, yes, I am helping people. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I get up in the morning, you know. But is there a mentality from some people, and this is what I'm struggling with, is how do I get past that mentality of you get paid the same amount, so I don't have to do anything extra, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not even extra. I just don't even have to do what I'm supposed to do because I'm going to yeah. get a paycheck at the end of the week no matter what, you know? And I don't know necessarily that money is the answer. Like you get even more money if you did a good job, you know, or you do more money because there's medium lids. Do you know what I mean? And what, how much money would it take to be really incentivize somebody? So I don't really think that's it. And I wonder if there's some way to motivate people to sometimes just do their jobs, you know, yeah. um, uh, to feel it the way I feel it. Like I feel this, this social responsibility to do this, you know, and other people just don't. You know, any advice for me? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I think that... I think that generally speaking, there's some people who care a ton and they go above and beyond and they spend countless hours, you know, out like off the clock working, right? To like help kids and help families and to be better clinicians. And I think, you know, there's of course the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, people just kind of show up, they clock in and they clock right out um, Mm -hmm. and they're not really putting their best foot forward. Um, I think that my best advice to inspire team members is I think everybody likes to feel like they're doing a good job. And so even with people who could be doing Mm -hmm. a better job, when you highlight the things that they're doing right, I think that that can build some momentum and some accountability too is like, wow, like she noticed that, you know, this one small thing that I did and she remarked on it and said, you know, keep doing that. And so I think that that's a strategy that I definitely use in my practice, um, especially with, with, because when we focus on the negative, right, which we are, our, our brains are, you know, hardwired to do, to focus on what's not happening, what could be happening better, you know, what are the problems in this situation that need to be fixed? And I think just starting from a place of everybody at some level is doing something that you could remark on positively, certainly. Um, even if it's just like, you're, I can see how much you're trying with this student. I know that it's sometimes challenging because they're not attending or they're not consistent or whatever it might be. Um, I think just recognizing too that the, the struggle sometimes with kids. Um, like I realize that sometimes, you know, they're absent a lot. And so you don't have the chance to make a lot of progress and it feels like you're starting from square one. And so I think that you can have those conversations openly with communication partners, um, especially in a school setting just talking openly with them and, and trying to highlight some of the good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm really taking away from your, your comments there is the idea that uh, the rising tide raises all ships, you know? So if you are really, you know, talking about how the, um, the good work that's happening in here for this person and this person, then it might motivate other people to, to elevate. And then giving, picking out the positives for those individual people, that will also elevate them and keep them, keep them going and want to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
I think that we all need to see that progress is happening. And even though it might be slow, I always say celebrate the small wins. And I think Mm -hmm. that you can do that with teams by showing them, right? Like taking a short video and saying like, look what they did in our session. We've been working on this and look, they finally said open. Um, I'm saying that just because I was just working with a kid and that's exactly what he just said, uh, which was super exciting because I feel like we've been working on it forever. And he finally, like it was like about to open the bag to the toys and I just like paused and he goes, open. And I'm like, yay. But you know, what I did was I didn't keep that, like that excitement to myself. I shared that with everybody, everybody Mm -hmm. I saw at that school. I was like, oh my gosh, he said open. Did you see it? He said open. Let me show you. I have it on video. He said open. You know, and I think sharing that gets momentum, right? It shows that change is possible. Mm -hmm. And when you're excited about the progress that a child's making, I feel like that excitement can be contagious. So yeah, I think that's one whole part of it is like you said, your excitement, your uh, emotional state, right? But something else you you said there is that you made it visual. I'm going to show you this movie. I'm going to show you this quick video. And I can also see that number wise. Like I, I could totally see, and we've done this in the past, is to chart it out so you can actually see the growth on a graph and that can motivate people to to continue to put in what they're what they're supposed to do, you know, give that effort because they can see the fruit of their labor. Yeah. And I think it's also just, uh, you know, especially when we're thinking about the school setting, it shows the value of being able to push into the classroom and see what's already happening, see the already established routines that can very easily be, you know, immersed with language opportunities. You know, we don't need to create extra work for teachers, especially. They have tons of work on their plate already. And I think that if we can figure out ways to streamline success by saying, okay, you're already lining up for some gen ed time, you can model the word go before you leave the classroom. Mm-hmm. right? Like that's something, just just focus on that for this week. Every time you go to the door, just say, you know, model the word go, have everybody do it. And then you like march on to the new, the next classroom. You know, I think that when we can set up routines that are already happening and we can set up language opportunities, that's where you can really see, you know, effort, small efforts over time add up to big change. Well, this is really helpful for me, you know, because uh, like I said, I've been struggling with the medium lid analogy for a while here, you know, and the people that kind of adopt that philosophy for their work life. One, hopefully, if you're listening, listeners, you're not that person, or maybe two, if you're listening, you're like, yeah, I know that person, you know, and hopefully some of these are some strategies that you can use. I know I'm going to use them uh, to, uh, <laughs> to, to get past that. Oh, well, I think that maybe we give a challenge to our listeners. And I know you guys might be thinking of one specific person that you're like, oh, man, I wish they were doing X, Y, and Z. So I would challenge you tag guys. Them in, to- tag them in Instagram. And <laughs> call them oh, out. No, that's not, yeah, call them out. <laughs> Berate them. No, 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 I don't think that's <laughs> Not a good idea. Just kidding. That was a joke in case anybody thinks that we're actually being serious. Yes. Um, no, but I would challenge you guys to go to that person and just focus on the good, right? Focus on something that they're doing well, point it out to them. And it's like kind of like focusing on what they're doing well and then giving a suggestion for something that they could do, you know, the next day to help facilitate language even more. That's great advice. Great advice. Uh, So something else to make it visual. I know that I've been peeking in to the Patreon to see how many other people have been joining Patreon. So drum roll, what's our number, Rachel? I'm really excited, Chris. We now have 73 Patreon members. So wow, we've grown. We've grown significantly. 
That's awesome. That's how we're, we're, we're close to 100. I know. Imagine. Imagine when we get to 100 and then 200 and then the sky's the limit. And we've been posting stuff over there uh, at, at a pace of usually two items a week. We've set a goal to post at least one piece of bonus content each week, but we've had quite a bit recently, so we've been posting sometimes two. What, like, for instance, you posted something. What did you post? Something about a sibling thing, right? Yeah, so I actually have been using this amazing resource that we created um, as part of an AAC coaching um, bundle that we, it's a free download on my website, but um, within that is this core word tracking sheet for siblings. So it's it's called kid-friendly core word tracking, and essentially it's a way to incorporate siblings into modeling. And I've been, you know, pulling it up during my telepractice sessions, and I've been you know, working with siblings and figuring out, okay, what words are you going to use? How many times do you think you can model that in a week? And it's a way to kind of keep siblings accountable for the modeling that they're doing and we're setting goals together. And so it's been a really fun thing that I've been using in my practice. And so I thought I'll share it with my Patreon members. Um, and everyone's giving me a lot of amazing feedback. I've gotten emails and messages and comments, um, about how useful it's been. So I'm really excited that I was able to share that this week. So head on over to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech, and you can see for yourself what are some of the different items that are available uh, if you sign up as a Patreon member. And we just appreciate your support. Thank you. Who are some of the new people? So we have Meredith, uh, Ariella, who was a longtime Patreon user, uh, Jessica, Emily, and my good friend Steve, who is an occupational therapist. I have to give him a shout out. Um, he's been listening to our podcast as a way to support his practice. And I'm really excited because, of course, we have a lot of SLPs listening. But we also have uh, an occupational therapist in New Jersey uh, who happens to be a dear friend of mine. Um, he's listening as well. So thank you, Steve, for becoming a Patreon member. Okay, so <laughs> what else do we have to talk about? Who is the interview today? So we interviewed Caitlin Calder. She is a amazing mom that we connected with. I just loved this interview. It's actually two parts because we connected so well and we had so much fun that we ended up recording, I think, well over an hour. And she just bring, she brings it in a real way. She's a parent of a child with complex communication needs. She's now, um, I think she's a CFY. Um, so she's a speech language pathologist herself now. And she just talks very openly and honestly about her experience as a parent, all the struggles that she had incorporating AAC into their daily routine. Um, she shares some hilarious anecdotes of uh, her experience with her daughter. And I'm really excited for everyone to hear this interview. It's two parts. So this week, and then we'll, we'll air the second part of the episode next week. Well, I can't wait to listen to your interview with Caitlin Calder. Do you feel like you spend all of your time writing assessment reports? We know that one of the hardest things about assessments is the time it takes to write up the report. That's why we've partnered with Double Time Docs, an online software that can help you write your speech and language reports faster. You simply answer multiple choice questions, fill in the blanks, and short answers, and a fully written report is generated automatically. It may seem like magic, and in a way, it is. Sophisticated technology generates paragraphs and scoring charts, speeding up your report writing dramatically. And they've even built out an AAC portion that focuses specifically on AAC device trialing and selection. But don't take our word for it. You can check out the reviews on their website, doubletimedocs.com, by clicking on the Captera link. Join thousands of therapists and save hours of time writing your evaluation reports with Double Time Docs. 
Just go to DoubleTimeDocs.com to sign up for a free 30-day trial to try it out for yourself. Don't forget to use the promo code TWT2020 to get one free doc credit. That's TWT2020. Check them out at DoubleTimeDocs.com. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadow, joined today by Caitlin Calder. Caitlin, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited. Caitlin, you're a parent, and you're also in graduate school for speech-language pathology, correct? I finished grad school in May. <gasps> Ooh, congratulations. Yes, and now I'm in my CF. Oh, so you're CFY. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I love that you are a listener of the podcast and you have a very unique experience because you have a daughter with complex communication needs, correct? I do. Okay. So let's dive right in. Tell me all about your daughter. And I'd love to know kind of the journey that you guys went on because I know it, there were a lot of things that happened. Um, so I'm going to let you just dive right in and tell us the story. Okay. So um, she's my second child. Her name's Della. Um, she was born... It seemed like everything was kind of okay, and then suddenly she wasn't hitting her milestones, and, you know, I have a, a son who's a couple years older than her, and so, like, I, I was like, am I being paranoid, you know, and then finally, I got a second opinion from a different pediatrician. If you have a gut feeling, go with the gut, and I, I regret that I didn't do it sooner, but that's okay, but at eight months old, um, we took her to um, Children's Hospital of Orange County, and they helped me figure out we narrowed it down to a genetic disease, an unknown genetic disease. And so, I mean, not to be sad, but we had a lot of medical debt and we sold our very nice house and moved to Houston where it's a little bit more um, affordable. But also they said, our pediatrician said, if you're going to find an answer, it's going to be at the Texas Medical Center at Baylor. Um, mm. They have a genetics program. And maybe when she's a young adult, you'll have some answer. So we kind of just moved out here and we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any family. We just went for it and um, got into the early childhood program, um, ECI. I can't remember what it's called everywhere else, but uh, <laughs> early childhood intervention. That's what yes. it is. And found a geneticist and just kind of like went every year for our checkup. Um, she was, Della's like, she was sickly. She had RSV when she was young, had a bit, um, she was intubated for like three days and, and then got over that. And then, but she just was like always sick, like always upper respiratory sick, ear infection. She had PE tubes and then adenoids. All, the, all the things. Yes. <laughs> it was gross. And I'm like, I think it's cause like, you know, you think of special education classrooms and I'm just picturing her licking like every doorknob, like anything <laughs> that people touch, like she is licking it. Yeah. You know? And like all the kids are licking it. Oh, yes. <laughs> And they love each other so much, but please, no licking. So, oh, I know. Anyway, yeah, our geneticist was like, okay, maybe when she's a teenager, you know, things are really speeding up with genetics. And then we went and it was like, maybe when she's 12. And this is, I think she was like five or six at the time. And then they called us when she was eight to be part of a pilot program to have her whole entire genome sequence. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, we said yes, and six months later, they called us, and they said, oh, we found something, but you got to come in into the office, so we go in. They're like, okay, we found something on the ASXL3 gene, and, you know, great. It's so exciting, but also, we don't know what it does, <laughs> and also, the guy who discovered it works here in this office, and so it was like, 
of all the billions of people in this world, like we walked into this dude's office. Yeah. And it was Dr. Bainbridge. It's now called Bainbridge Roper Syndrome. We were part of the first study, which was super exciting, but also like, hey, great. This exactly. Is what, this is what my kid has. We don't know what it means. Pioneer, uh, pioneering a new frontier. <laughs> a lot. So Dr. Bainbridge called me up like a year later and he's like, hey, there's starting to be more people diagnosed. Would you be willing to be kind of a point person for parents? Mm. And so I, I did that. And it was really surreal to talk to other people about what their child was doing. So now we have about 250 families diagnosed all over the world. Um, and it's also been recently linked as a possible genetic cause for autism. Wow. So suddenly there's a lot of funding in autism right now. And so it was kind of this unknown ASXL3, like what the heck is that to, okay, this might be connected to autism. Mm. And probably 50 to 75% of the kids have an ASD diagnosis. And the ones who don't have a lot of hallmarks, but are missing maybe one or two of those real, you know, DSM qualifications. Mm -hmm. um, and about 50% are on a, a peg tube, a feeding tube. And I think there's maybe five verbal children. There's, mm. It's very, very low. Most of the children don't talk. Mm -hmm. So that's how we got that answer, which was super exciting. But also like, we still don't really know what it means. Like, I don't know the lifespan. Right. I have no idea. You know, yeah. I, I, we're just trying to like throw this information together on Facebook and mm -hmm. figure it out, but we've gotten some funding and we're, so we're starting research and that's really, really exciting. Well, what's so interesting because I've actually heard this story a few times, not often, but a few times where it's a very rare genetic um, syndrome or disorder. There's this genetic, you know, mutation. And what's so fascinating to me is that we now live in a world where we're so connected and able to be connected so easily that these families are finding each other from all around the world. Um, you And I have to imagine that there's some type of solace in being able to talk with another parent who oh, yeah. has another child who's mm -hmm. very similar presentation style to your own, yeah. um, you know, because we all want to feel like we're understood and that we can relate to one another and to have somebody be able to relate to our own experience with our own child. I'm sure that is a lot. It means a lot. I, yeah, it felt like, you know, I kind of found my tribe and, and even though all the kids are different nationalities and races and creeds, like they look related mm -hmm. and it's like we were part of the autism community, but also not. Like, right. My kid also does this or my kid also has that. And it's, it just wasn't quite, you know, it, we didn't fit it a hundred percent. I mean, what mm -hmm. child does, but really, so mm -hmm. to, to find other families has been so great to finally be like, my kid does that too. Or to give like people with newborns, um, who've been diagnosed, like, Hey, this is what you're going to want to jump into. You know, right. this is the, this is what you're going to see. And this is how it present. And here's what you can do beforehand. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it has been very cathartic. It's yeah. hard sometimes, you know, you're talking to people who are really sad at that moment, but mm -hmm. um, it's also, you know, it really gives purpose, you know, meaning to what has happened to my, my, mm -hmm. my child. And also I can imagine for a family who's newly diagnosed, being able to give hope to that family, right? Because in yeah. the initial stages of a diagnosis, there's a lot of grief and mourning and confusion and a lot of emotions. Yep. And to be able to say like, I know how you're feeling right now because I was there and it gets better. You know, yes. we did a lot of things and we know a lot now and it will get better. 
Yes. And it's still disappointing. They always ask me the same things. Number one, how long was my child's going to live? Yeah. And we don't really know, but we have some older kids and, mm-hmm. and we're slowly, maybe they have a normal lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second thing is always, is my child going to talk? Yeah. And it's hard. I, I, I'm honest mm-hmm. and be like, chances are no, but we do have a couple that do speak. And then I can just go into the AAC part. But these kids, you know, the receptive language is so much higher than their expressive language and they're in there and all of those mm-hmm. kinds of just trying to make people feel a little less sad. I can't control them. You yeah. know, I can't control their emotions, but you know, you don't want to just leave people hanging either. It's hard. Right. And you know, like you said, really high receptive language, obviously low expressive language, but that's a perfect candidate for a device. You know, so a child who is understanding so much, but has no way to communicate that. Um, so I know, I know the, the cell for AAC all too well, and it's not always easy, it is but, not. um, you know, when there's high receptive language, I just, I can't contain my enthusiasm because these are the kids that make really rapid progress. If you set them up with the right system, you know, with highly motivating opportunities to learn language, when you get strategic about a vocabulary approach. So it's like, those are the kids that like, I love working with. Oh yeah. You know, they can make really quick gains. And and I want to be like, see, I told you. (laughs) Exactly. See, (laughs) and I think it's just too for parents wrapping their head around this idea that they might not hear their child talk. I yeah. think that that's another grieving process of that course. is not easy. And um, especially because I always, I always feel like it's like this no man's land because, you know, I think that it, it's one thing to say and know with certainty your child will never talk, but it's okay because we'll do this other thing with this yeah. device and yeah. you'll eventually learn what they have to say and you'll be able to connect with them. Mm-hmm. But we, we can never say that with certainty, right? Nor would we want to because we don't know what will happen. Of but course. I, but I think what happens then is that we're in this like no man's land where we can't give up, you know, this idea of spoken language and spoken communication. Um, but, uh, but we, we're kind of stuck and, you know, we can't kind of grieve that fully. Um, right. so I just feel like it's, it's, it's just an unfortunate reality because we don't know what's going to happen. And I would never want to tell a parent like your child will never talk because I I've seen the most amazing miracles happen where a child starts using a device and then they start verbally communicating. But we also need the bell curve. Yeah, honest, mostly in the middle. So yes, I agree. Know, it's like so, an asterisk. I always try to, I don't know. It's a fine line, right? You don't want to like kill people's dreams and about, mm-hmm. and the future that they had hoped for their child, but kind of mm-hmm. honestly, that child's not really going to have the future that they exactly thought. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I find the parents that haven't talked to their kid, like can't communicate with their child for like three years mm-hmm. are much more willing to, to try AAC. Yes. versus someone who has a newborn or, or a one-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're just a little bit behind, you know, mm-hmm. it's so hard in the beginning. They're just, well, they're just a little bit behind their peers. And so mm-hmm. I get that too. And I, I can't sit here and judge, you know, what's right or wrong for anybody. So it, it actually, so most people who come to me know me for AAC and they already know they want AAC when they come through the door. Uh-huh. So it's like, it's, I feel quite fortunate in that yeah. respect. Cause I'm not like trying to sell people on this process. Yes. Now, I will say people come to me for AAC, but they're still kind of like apprehensive. Like, I don't know, is this going to stop them from talking? You know, they have a lot of apprehension. 
a few months ago, I actually did a consult with a, a colleague of mine who does a lot of work in early intervention. Mm -hmm. And we were working with a child who just turned three and she tried everything, signs, um, all the things and was like, I really think this child needs AAC, which is a hard call because I feel like a lot of early intervention clinicians feel hesitant to talk with parents about AAC. Yeah. Like, like you said, it's one thing for a child to be, you know, a little bit behind because then it's kind of like, well, they're going to catch up soon. They're not that right, behind, right. you know, it's not, yeah. the gap is not that large, but what happens is as the gap gets larger and larger and parents are more interested in AAC because they're getting further away from what's developmentally appropriate, we're losing precious time. I know. Teaching language. So it's just like, how can we somehow like, you know, fuse these two in a way that we, you know, start presenting even low-tech AAC options and visual supports to help a child continue to learn language as speech is catching up, um, you know, or, you know, maybe it won't ever catch up, but we need to be teaching language all along. Right. And if kids can pick up baby signs at 10 months, why not, you know, work or work with that. I mean, it's like, exactly something they, they can do some kind of matching, you know, yeah. or exchange this for this. I want to drink mm -hmm. or, you know, or mm -hmm. I don't know, my kid always want to turn on and off the lights, like <laughs> core words, could get it. You know, you're absolutely right. So mm -hmm. maybe we should just teach all babies AAC. <laughs> I mean, they all have an iPad in their hand. I mean, come on. It's, so. it's true. It's true. I mean, honestly, I love a quote, um, Romsky and Sevcik, I think, Sevcik. I don't know how to pronounce that last name, but it's, um, it says AAC is not a last resort intervention. It's not like, it should not be, we tried, you know, verbal, didn't work. We tried sign, didn't work. You know, now I guess we have to try AAC, <laughs> you know, yeah. we have to be that it's not an either or approach it can be simultaneously I know I know we know and this I, we know this I Caitlin the answer like I want to like just make a t-shirt that just says like AAC will not keep your child from talking like just I know yeah please get over it I would but buy that t-shirt and wear it I, to I, work every day <laughs> put it on my like bumper sticker or something I don't know because I don't know how else to do that yeah I know it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So I love, love, love that you're helping parents, especially newly diagnosed parents. Um, you just presented and I want to talk a little bit about your presentation. You were nice enough to send me the handout, which I absolutely loved because it, there was a lot of really valuable stuff in here. Um, and I wanted to kind of go through some of it with you. I feel like though you guys have touched on almost every single thing that I have said. Yes, but it's so much different coming from a parent perspective. So okay. I want to I wanna go through it a little bit. Um, the name of your talk was True Confessions of an AAC Parent, which I absolutely loved um, because you got real. You got real in this presentation. I totally did. And I said things that I had never even spoken out loud ever except for the first time when I presented it. And it was like half mortifying. But then I didn't die. Like nothing <laughs> happened. I said these things and then nothing happened. So I was like, oh, all right, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> So the first thing that you talked about was just your expectations versus reality. So you can just yeah. speak to that a little bit. Um, I think, you know, it's like, I, we all seen the, the miracle worker, right? Like we've all, you know, or read this story about Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan. And, and we all know it took Annie Sullivan a really, 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 really long time to teach Helen Keller. Yet when it comes to like applying it to myself, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get her this device. And she's going to be like, mommy, I love you. You're so wonderful. Thank you for always 
sacrificing and putting your needs last. I was like, this is gonna be so awesome. And then like, it totally did not turn out that way. And so my slides, I have like this mother and daughter together and they're having this, you know, communication moment. And then the next slide is her smash device. Like she smashed it. And Ooh. it was like, this is, this is how it goes, you know? And so I mistook a lot of those expectations of what I thought it was going to be like. And instead of understanding that it was a normal process, I thought I'm doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. Mm -hmm. And when really I didn't understand how complex it is to learn language period on top of a, a way that most of us don't really communicate. We, we use speech and this is not speech. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, um, did you think that, because I, I completely agree. I think there's very unrealistic expectations sometimes that parents have and teachers have and um, even clinicians have. And I think that it's important to set realistic expectations. Um, do you feel like the, the speech language pathologist or the AAC specialist that you worked with set those realistic expectations? Um, and you just were kind of like, I hear what you're saying, but like my kid's different. <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly don't because... I'm sure they told me so many wonderful things, but it's like, I can only take in so much and I have so many other things that I was dealing with, with her. And of course, communication is important, but you know, as an SLP, it's like, no, it is, it is the be all end all. Like you mm -hmm. need to do this. And, and it's hard to step back and be like, of course, communication's important, but it's not the only thing that's going on in these people's lives. And so I'm not sure they were great. I still talk to all of her former SLPs, but also this was, we started this like 10 years ago mm. and there wasn't. And how old is your daughter now? She's 12. She's 12. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So she started when she was two years old, which is very young. Uh-huh. And, and we went for an evaluation and she immediately, she like got, Oh, I get goldfish. Have I pressed this button? Great. <laughs> You know, like, effect was there. I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And so of course, like we immediately saved up and bought us an iPad and like, we're trying to do it ourselves. And like, of course it didn't go at all. Like it went in that session. Like, <laughs> of course not. Pushing buttons, looking, you know, you, 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 we've all probably experienced that those first few sessions where it's just like, nothing's really getting through. <laughs> it, yeah. feels like, it feels like, so there just wasn't a lot to go on. I felt like, and, and the iPad had just barely come out. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like so new. And then suddenly AAC is available to like almost everybody. Like mm -hmm. what a freaking miracle. Like it was yeah. so just, uh, it's a really exciting time, mm -hmm. but I don't re I don't remember. I just remember I was supposed to use it all the time, 24 hours a day. So like, that was the expectation. I felt, um, I think I did it. Yeah. So you might've put I, that on yourself. <laughs> yes. And so like my daughter's device would sit on the shelf and look at me like you were the worst. <laughs> and I'd walk by it. I'd be like, I know I'm the worst. Like it just became like this huge vortex of just awful feelings and sadness and like failure and, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things. Like that's going to make me want to use it more. Right. Exactly. You're like when you're in a shame spiral, that's when you decide to totally. you know, do all the things you're supposed to do. Right. Oh, oh, and this shame spiral has a strap so I can just take it everywhere. Awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, we had our moments where it was really great. And then we had a lot of time where it wasn't. And I didn't understand and I didn't have the language to explain to my SLP what was happening. I didn't, 
I didn't know what questions to ask, you know, and, and I felt like I'm already getting a lot of judgment from people because my kid's crying on the ground or she just peed her pants on purpose because she's upset. And it's like, <laughs> now I, I just want this SLP to think I'm like kind of a good person and I am trying. And it's a very complicated thing that SLPs are trying to do. And I think the, the important thing too to remember is that as speech language pathologists, yes, we are like 100% committed to communication above all else. But parents have to be committed to communication, but they also have to be committed to medical needs and right. taking care of a child and making sure their child's fed and clothed and, you know, OT and PT and school and IEPs. And, you know, the list goes on and on and right. on. So it's like, as practitioners, we're all kind of like pushing our, our, you know, goals and our agenda and like do this at home, but you're getting that from every angle. And so I'm sure as a parent, it was like, it was overwhelming and you couldn't, you couldn't do it all. And you wanted to do it all right. We have every aspiration in the world to do all the things like go to the gym and you know, all the things, all the things we know are good for our life. Like eat healthy, go to the gym, you know, read self-help journal gratitude, you know, all these things that we want to do, but we can't possibly do it all. And so it's like, how can no one can, no one can, no one can. And I think it's important too, like we go through peaks and valleys. I was just talking to a colleague and it was um, really cool because she went to a training. It was a Head Start training in, I think it was in Sacramento a few months ago. But what was really interesting is that they're learning from research that um, people go through motivation cycles. So motivation kind of goes up and then it goes down and it goes up. And so if we think about motivation for all people, kids, Uh adults, everyone, as going through cycles we're a lot kinder to ourselves because we don't have to think about like this idea, this unrealistic idea that I'm going to be motivated and I'm supposed to be motivated all, day, every all the day. time. That's true. Because who has the energy for that? Nobody, nobody. And so it was like, and was talking about like around the holidays, around this time, like everyone's motivation yes, starts like going exactly down low. That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, yeah, everyone's motivated, you know, so and, ride that and, wave. Exactly. And same thing in the summer, like motivation goes down as you're like going on vacation and, and it's a natural cycle, right? Instead of it being this terrible thing where we're like, I didn't use the device all summer. Like I feel so bad, you know, just understanding what to expect and right. realizing this is a natural process that human beings go through. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. That makes me feel relieved. And I think definitely I should consider adding that to my presentation because we're all hard on ourselves, mm-hmm. all of us, and especially women. I'm not, I'm not discounting dads or men, but we are especially hard on ourselves and have a hard time forgiving the natural weaknesses that we have. And so it's just one more thing. And, and I didn't, you know, I know there are women who, and men who lay in bed at night and think of all the things they should have done. Mm-hmm. And I had this awesome therapist who was like, Caitlin, you need to stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> I love and it. it was like permission, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. that really changed my perspective on how to deal with all of the demands that we have, whether or not people have a a special needs child or not, that it's like a relief to know that it does, no one can keep that energy up forever, Mm -mm. you know? No. And I, and it's interesting if you think about all of the years of your life, you know, you go through certain peaks where you're like, wow, I was so motivated to do this thing and this goal. And like, I couldn't believe that every morning I, I jumped out of bed and I did those things, you know, and then you go through these other periods of your life. You're like, wow, I was literally like in survival mode yeah. and I didn't uh-huh. do anything. But water. Yep. <laughs> yes. I felt like that for like eight years. So it's much better now. It's much better now, but 
Um, when you don't have the tools to deal with that, it does. It feels like you're treading water every day. And it's yeah. sad because I know so many people are living that. Yeah. So let me ask you this, knowing kind of what you know now, and especially with your background now in speech language pathology, what are some ways that clinicians can help ease the overwhelm? Because okay. I think that there's a lot, like I know myself as a clinician who works with a lot of new families and introduces them to AAC. I'm just so excited. And I'm like, and do this and you can do this and look at this and try this. <laughs> so what's some like strategies that you can give that can help parents not be so overwhelmed. Okay. So just letting them know what it's going to be like, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is not, it's going to feel super weird Mm -hmm. to talk to your kid with an iPad or device because we are used to using speech. So, so if it doesn't feel natural, like that's okay. You're totally fine. Just keep on going. Mm -hmm. Um, And setting the expectation of this is a super complicated process. Like it's Mm -hmm. so complicated learning, learning language. It's not easy. So to think I expected my child to build full sentences because I didn't know any better, Mm -hmm. you know, so let's set those realistic expectations and we still give a hope and, and leave, you know, dangle that carrot in front of their face, Mm -hmm. you know, cause it, cause it is, it it will help eventually, but like, it's going to feel weird. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Cause Mm -hmm. I thought I was totally failing at this. And then setting um, realistic expectations of using the device at home. And so I have some research in my um, presentation and setting realistic goals. So setting a time and you read this book and then you press this, the characters on the device or the picture, whatever they're doing, um, or spending 10 minutes a day, like just 10 minutes. It seems like, okay, I could do 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. setting a time. That's 70 minutes a week that you didn't have before seven zero mm-hmm. so much better than just zero. And I can tell you like the weeks that I didn't even use it. If I had known that just 10 minutes would have made a difference. And then the last thing is modeling. I didn't, I didn't even know what that was. And, and now I throw around these words, but I forget that I didn't know them. Like mm-hmm. I went to school for a really long time and I did some research in AAC and you know, and I forget that that's just not, a natural thing that people know. And so to, mm-hmm. to talk about modeling and what it is and to teach people how to do it would have been really helpful to me. One of the places that we went, it didn't have, um, I couldn't watch my child's therapy. And so like, I don't know what's going Like, I have no idea. And, and she's like, oh, she did this and this and that. And I'm like, that sounds great. Like, I don't know what that means because she's not touching it at home. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Happy to hear it's, it's going totally. great in, in behind closed doors over there. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I've been seeing that too. No, <laughs> I saw none of that. But I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be like, look stupid, which is so dumb that I let pride get in the way. But I didn't understand what she was doing differently. And it was mm-hmm. a lot of things mm-hmm. she was doing differently because <laughs> I didn't yeah. know. So being able to watch would, would have been helpful. And I couldn't be in the same room with Della because it just, I could mm-hmm. for a while, but then it, her behavior just became too much. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I just stepped out and that would have been really um, helpful to me. I think mm-hmm. you can see what well, you can watch people do stuff and, and we all kind of pick it up. Right. 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 But- I think that's super insightful because I completely agree. A lot of the students that I work with behaviors start, 
like meltdowns start happening when parents are in the room. So it's very challenging at times because like you mentioned, it's like, I think that kids have a hard time with two authority figures, like, you know, in the same room at the same time. And they're like, well, mom tells me what to do, but like now Miss Rachel's telling me what to do. And like, I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) And so I think that that's a real thing, but now we're so lucky with technology that we're able to utilize video and, you know, live streaming and all these really cool things. And so I think from a parent perspective, you know, I feel like you probably had that, that feeling when you hear all these great things, you're like, I want to see it. I want to, you know, how can I see it? Yeah. You know, now empowering parents to say, is there a way that you can maybe take a short video at the end of your session? And I could just see what's happening. It's a hard balance to ask for what you need. Right. But also to not step on toes, right? Like I know the parents that are like, well, I can't ask for something like that because like, what if she doesn't want to do it? And what if it's, you know, we start like telling us ourselves this crazy story of how like that's too much to ask. Right. And I think I, um, feeling that in, in my daughter's like, um, IEP meetings, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I don't want them to hate me. Not that they ever hated anybody, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm making cookies and bring them to the yard and, and thinking like, catch more flies with honey. And I know she's so difficult and, and just be nice to her. And, and I just, it's so hard to ask for what you want. And it's not true for everybody. Some people go in with an advocate and a lawyer and they have zero problem telling people under the law, what they need to do. And that's great. I am not that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of me feels bad that maybe my daughter should have been born to someone who is a little more aggressive, but you know, I still knew what she needed it was just really hard for me to sit at a table with like 12 other people who clearly knew what they're talking about. And I'm like, I don't know. She just cries a lot. And I don't know why she pees her pants all the time. It's Cause she's mad. I don't know. You know, it's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's really intimidating. And so I wish there would be some kind of like paradigm shift where we could spend just as much time, maybe even every other session, not even working with the child directly, but working with the, the parents. And mm-hmm. I think that research is really starting to shift to looking at the, the facilitator. And that's who I'm very, very interested in, in, in terms of research. And I just, I feel like if we could give people tools, take the SLP and the child relationship out of it. Well, what's interesting about you saying that, Caitlin, is that my my practice has shifted a little bit. And this isn't happening with all the families that I work with. But I have certain families that I work with where I see the child, but some sessions, an entire hour is spent with just parents. Yes. Just me and me and mom or me and dad or me and mom and dad. And I sit down and I, cause sometimes the kids are kind of, I hate to say in the way, but I'm like, you know, they're like, they, they yeah, need yeah, attention yeah. and they're yeah. kind of doing all the crazy things. And I'm right. like, I need one-on-one time with the yes. family to be right. like, how's it really going? Right. And like, that's the question I asked. How's it really going? <laughs> and then I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I would have told you the truth. I don't know. So maybe you have this, a, a more like sense of what is really going on now and that mm-hmm. you can say that and kind of say, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, it's, it's really hard to implement or it feels really mm-hmm. awkward and that's okay. So are you having any of those experiences, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of give them permission to say, oh my gosh, it's not working at all. Well, you know what I do, especially for my, so some families I see monthly and so I'll come in and I'll say, you know, how's it going? And oftentimes I'll get a look a very subtle, like I can tell there's like guilt 
And I'm like, ooh, I can like, now I can sense it from like a mile away. Yeah, yeah. Then it tells me they haven't been using the device. They're feeling really bad about not using it. So then I can kind of like back my way into the conversation Uh in a way that's like, listen, I don't care. And I say this to families. I'm like, I don't care if you haven't picked up the device since the last time I saw you a month ago. Right. We need to figure out a way that's realistic for your family. Just start small and start weaving it in. Right. And I'm like, there's no judgment here. I'm like, and I tell parents, I know you have a lot on your plate. You have this, 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 and this. I know because it's so hard to even schedule this session, (laughs) you know? And so I get it. And I'm like, there's no, there's no reason to feel guilty or like you're a bad parent and all the things like, let's just like push that to the side. It's not helping us or serving us. And I'm not that at all. I'm thinking, you know, what, whatever I did last month wasn't effective because it wasn't able to be implemented into your routine. So that that's on me. Like now I'm like, I'm here to figure out, you know, this month, what I can suggest that makes sense with your routine and your family Mm -hmm. that you're actually going to feel you're able to do that. There's so much power. You're validating, right? You're validating their feelings. Like this is hard. Exactly. And the, the, onus, on. the onus is on me. It's not like do all this parents. It's like, how can I present, you know, communication opportunities or vocabulary words or low tech supports or whatever it might be. How can I present this to a parent in a way where they feel like, oh, I can totally do that. And sometimes yeah. it means I print out low tech visuals on and off and we just tape it in front of the sink. Yeah. It's like, okay, every time you turn the sink on, touch on and like yeah. call it a day. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, but yeah. that's like, okay, yeah. we can do that. We brush, we brush teeth every night, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's like, really, sometimes I have to work backwards and I'm like, okay, like I need to figure out a way to start yeah. integrating into already existing routines. Right. And I think once you can get that small amount of buy-in and in a little bit of time, it starts to working, working, which is a natural reinforcement, which we know works a lot better mm-hmm. than a lot of other techniques <laughs> that we try. Yes. But to put it that way, you know, is, I think it's a, it would be a burden off of, it would have been a burden off of my shoulders. I would have felt like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I'm, you're in this with me. Like, you're taking responsibility for that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, the onus is on you, SLP. <laughs> Please, yeah. take it off my shoulders. Right. And I, and I think so validating is very powerful. And then, you know, letting people know that you're with them and, and putting aside judgment because God bless our families. But sometimes we get a lot of judgment, even from the people that are closest to us because they don't understand. No one's Mm -hmm. trying to be mean, Mm -hmm. but you get it from strangers and you get it from people who mean well, and it just really makes it harder. So the last thing a parent wants is, is their child's SLP to be like, you are failing them. You know, Mm -hmm. this isn't working because of you. Because I feel like a lot of parents are already pointing the finger at themselves anyway, you know? Exactly. And that's why it doesn't serve us. It doesn't get us any closer to our goals if we point blame, right? And guilt. We try to like change somebody's, you know, behavior by guilt tripping them or being passive aggressive or all these things. And, you know, it takes you, it takes a lot of practice to take your ego out of it. 
Yeah. Right. Like I need to check my ego at the door because I could just be like, well, I told you what to do. And like, you know, why didn't you do it? You should be modeling all the time. You know, should, 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 you should be doing all these things so that we can see the outcomes. And instead it's like, no, no, my ego's at the door. I have no idea what it's like to be a parent of a child with special needs. So I need to come at this with empathy and understanding and patience and my ego, there's no place for my ego in this situation. But on the flip side, if you're willing to do that and be vulnerable and set that, you're modeling, right? And Mm -hmm. maybe the parent would feel more likely to be like, okay, she's putting herself out there. I'm going to do it too. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I, I did let my ego get in the way, but I, I didn't understand that quite that that's what I was doing. And I, I'm so disappointed in myself that I let that happen. I didn't understand the process, but Mm -hmm. looking back, I do now. And so maybe if you're willing to say those things and make yourself vulnerable, well, it's a lot Mm -hmm. easier to be vulnerable if someone else goes first. It's true. (laughs) You know, I I appreciate it. This is part one of a two-part episode. Stay tuned next week for the second half of this episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.